thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 148 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast ever, and it was recorded on Friday, December 9th, and made available for download Tuesday, December 13th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Ken Shadow. And I'm Ostron. And as always, keeping an eye on our peaks and troughs, although some of us are peakier than others, is none other than Mr. Romulanale, also known as Henry. Hello. So what do we have in store this week, Ostron? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, some good news for the insane clown posse. Miracles do happen, as we got the magnets to work. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed, as we bring you leaks and spillages for Star Citizen 2.6, Balancing the betas and some PS4 news for Elite Dangerous, and news of the latest, greatest patch for Everspace. After that, we're debating a specific kind of achievement, before finally tuning to this feedback loop and letting you join in on the conversation. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through this squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Cryptor, Cryptor, Cryptor. This is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. First of all, although it's old news as of this episode's airing, we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the passing of John Glenn. His example and legacy inspired countless scientists, astronauts, and small children with telescopes, including yours personally. He was a hero when I was a small child and an idol when I was an adult. His person will be sorely missed. Now, on to the future. Almost every science fiction universe that isn't following up on an apocalypse, but even a few that are, have something in common. Nobody's burning coal, oil, or gas for electrical power. And while hydro, wind, and geothermal energy are nice, they require, you know, a planet with water, air, and a core. So it doesn't help if you want to build spaceships. Most spaceships in fiction are running on either nuclear fusion or antimatter. Scientists on Earth have generally agreed fusion is easier to work on, though there are massive caveats falling easier. For several years, German scientists at the Max Planck Institute for Plasma Physics, in collaboration with scientists from around the world, have been developing a fusion reactor called the Windelstein 7X. They fired up earlier this year and have now reached a significant milestone. They've confirmed that the magnetic containment system is working as intended. Fans of Star Trek science will be familiar with magnetic containment. In that universe, it's necessary because you can't hold antimatter in anything solid. It'll blow up when it contacts actual matter. In the case of 7X, magnetic containment is necessary because the hydrogen plasma that will be used for fusion is usually around 80 million degrees. That's Celsius, but it doesn't really matter at those temps. So rather than exploding when contacting solid container, the plasma would just melt it or set it on fire. Now that the containment field has been verified, the reactor team can move on to an attempt activities with the hydrogen plasma, hopefully leading to a working generator sometime in the near future. Man, I think I was born 500 years too early. Is the Weddleston 7X a tokamak, or is it a different kind of magnetic containment? Um, it 
didn't say in the article. Did they have a picture of it? Not in the one I saw. So Jeff says uh, born maybe 500 years too early. I don't know. I think it's a great time to be alive. It's a shame what happened to John Glenn, but we're right at the very brink of like exploration. You know, we're just learning how to get out there. It's going to be great. You know, John is one of those rare individuals. I mean, he lived 95 years. I, I mean, I hope I, I wish that was the average lifespan of, of human beings. But I mean, I was nine years old when we first landed on the moon. Wow. And so I fall and I, I mean, I was glued to the television set. Anytime there was something spacey on, I mean, I watched Star Trek, the original series in the original airing, you know, it was like. <laughs> so I, uh, I have a letter from him from when he was a senator congratulating me for um, my Eagle Scout. And, from John uh, Glenn, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was. I, I honestly, he sends, I'm sure he sent out a lot of them. I think you just had to. Uh, request one. <laughs> so, That's all right. That's awesome. That yeah, is awesome. But it's still a signature. I still got a signature. Yeah. So yeah, no, I feel I feel proud of that. I tweeted that out like when it when he died when I heard he died because I was uh, was a little sentimental about that. I was like, oh. So back to the reactor. I did some quick research. Um, it's equivalent to a tokamak, but it's not the same thing. Right. It's it, what they're calling a stellarator. It's it's still a um, toroid. It said it has. Uh, a whole slew of superconducting uh, magnetic coils. So yeah. yeah, like it's the basic same principle. The tokamak you just hold the plasma in a ring. So anyway, apparently they're pretty close to getting this one to work, as compared to uh, a number of the other projects that are out there, which would be really awesome if it happened. That's a power generator, right? That's not propulsion. This yeah, is something that would work great in conjunction with the M drive we were talking about last week. Right. Well, the pro I mean, the whole thing with the fusion reactors is that they're supposed to be, if they are working correctly, they're self-sustaining, self-generating energy producers with almost no real waste. I mean, technically, they produce helium as a waste product, but, you know, if you compare you spill nuclear waste out of a fission reactor and that's a natural disaster. You spill waste out of a fusion reactor and, you know, everybody sounds like the chipmunks for a little while and then everything's fine. Helium is a good thing to have. It's a natural resource that's actually getting harder to uh, to come by and that's not replenishable, uh, with the exception of having fusion generators. Right. And this, instead of being powered by plutonium, could be powered by water. And it doesn't even have to be fresh water. It just has to be something with hydrogen in it. I, I still think that the technology till we see actual fusion energy in our cars and our homes or whatever is still 100 years away. Oh, probably before they miniaturize it, definitely. Um, but well, I'm sure they'll find something else probably before they actually end up miniaturizing fusion. Yeah. And the big problem with fusion and the uh, containment field is that typically these fusion reactors take more energy to power the containment than they actually produce. And so that's been the trick, trying to get something that actually doesn't take as much to contain it as it does to produce. So uh, if this does do it, then like you said, Ostron, it'll actually be self-sustaining. Red seen or heard something you might find interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for December 9th, 2016, $137.9 million, up about 292000 
1.677 million registered accounts, up about 4,700. 1.161 million ships in the UE fleet, up about 2,800. 2.6 is still with the Ivacati, but it was mentioned on Around the Verse that CIG is hoping to release it to the PTU soon, so it may be even available by the time this episode airs. Also, everyone is working on what will be shown in the holiday livestream. For those who aren't aware, that livestream will be occurring on December 16th, which is next Friday, shortly before the recording of this here show. Outside of SIG proper, a bit of drama resolved itself on the Star Citizen subreddit recently. As mentioned previously here on Guard Frequency, Star Citizen 2.6 has been available for testing with the SIM-exclusive Iwokati group since late November. The Evocati are under NDAs, not to reveal how they are testing, and the mods in the Star Citizen subreddit try to support that, because flouting the desires of the game developer you're a fan of is not a good way to show support. However, some astute and loyal subscribers to the subreddit cried foul when posts appeared that showed shots and descriptions of assets clearly from 2.6, including the Caterpillar. However, the sources were not, as far as anyone can tell, rogue Evocati disregarding their NDA. Some backers, who are more adept at digital spelunking, discovered that assets from 2.6 could be extracted from the launcher manually and examined if one had the appropriate tools. Once this fact was communicated, the mods of the Star Citizen subreddit decided to let the post pass. The reasoning, which is posted in full on the subreddit, link in the show notes, included items such as information not coming, as far as they know, from Evocati. Therefore, no one is breaking their NDA that the releases didn't include data which needs to be tested by the Ivocati, and the fact that most of what was revealed isn't much different from what has been posted by CIG itself recently. It seems that the mods will be revisiting their policy on Ivocati preventative sweeps going forward since CIG is being more open about 2.6 in general. Did anybody see any of the posts on the subreddit? Yeah, I've watched them all. Saw all the stuff on the Caterpillar and uh, the Herald and, and whatnot. All of the stuff looks really good and it's really entertaining. <laughs> Honestly, I wish Sig would just have released walkthroughs and stuff like that before. Or just dropped the ships in the hangar. That would have been great too. But anything with a closed testing like this where uh, the testers aren't getting paid, you know, you, you, there's no way to control this, right? Your people are going to... There's no way for them to control the information that gets recorded, and there's no way from control it gets posted. And SIG doesn't seem to be taking any efforts to even protect the files. The patcher stuff is in everybody's patcher. You can just go read the patcher files, download the rest of it, and then stick the appropriate files in your, your distribution to get those at models. So if SIG really cared about that, they would put those URLs behind passwords. But they don't. So I don't think anybody, at least on, on SIG's side, can be surprised this stuff is getting posted. Well, all the drama here seemed to be wholly contained within the subreddit. I don't think anybody from CIG even like recognized that it was a thing. I, I would agree because simply for the fact that the people that really hang out in the subreddit, and I don't mean any of you people, usually tend to be more... Uh, I'm looking for an appropriate word. If somebody could help me out. Polarizing. Um, yeah, there you go. Then the general populace of Star Citizen. They look for the little bits just so there's controversy going on. I've always noticed that. It's like... Yeah, no, but the it's funny how the subreddit has this lock them down mentality around Evocati, but it's the exact opposite around subscriber information. There is regular subscriber posts saying, look, here's, what, here's the subscriber images that got posted to the vault. 
here is a link to the Imager album where this person downloaded and reposted them on Imager and, oh yeah, you should probably subscribe or something like that. That post is up the moment the subscriber vault is updated. So, you know. Well, I used to share my, my uh, jump gate monthly, you know. Nobody told me I couldn't. Not well. You're not supposed to, right? <laughs> but you didn't sign an NDA or anything like that. These right. other people, it, these other people didn't sign NDAs either, right? It is implicit contractually obligated, though, or at least community obligated in some regards, right? There are people that are paying well, for the information on one side. I don't think going to slap my hand or risk me losing my twenty bucks and maybe others if they if they did slap my hand because people would be outraged because of it plus it's like cig in particular was going to crack down harder on subscriber content getting out there then they have to wade into the very murky waters that we were discussing last week what's their basis for objecting because if their basis for objecting is that well people are paying for that content and it shouldn't be released for free because it's a product that's being sold. That's going to firmly slam up against their justification for all the pricing they've done on the ships, which is that it's not a product for sale. It's a gift because certain backers are willing to provide extra support. Okay. I, I don't want to get into a, a deep debate on subscribers. I'm just saying it's the same level of of information control that SIG has. Yeah. Even the stuff underneath the subscriber vaults, they're not password protected. Like you can send someone a link to a jump gate and they can download it. So in my mind, it's the same as these patcher files, right? We're getting links to this stuff. You can go download it. It's not password protected. If they cared, they they would spend the five minutes it takes to, to, to protect it. They aren't. So it is implicit that this stuff will go to people that aren't in the evil kai. The dichotomy on Reddit in particular it is a contradiction, which is not unheard of for Reddit itself. I mean, you can see uh, two Reddit posts. Uh, one Reddit post we put with a specific uh, item or, or objectives that is, uh, you know, something potentially something interesting, but somebody has a problem with it and it gets downloaded to oblivion. And then like five minutes later, someone will post something similar. And for whatever reason, it gets upvoted to the top of the Reddit. Right. And so there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of the insanity that goes on Reddit. And so... And this, um, this may be the like the clarion call that's going to loosen the Avocati rules, because I'm sure they were probably attempts to do the same sort of thing with the subscriber content initially. So I'm going to go and say that I think the Avocati NDA is kind of a crappy thing to do. I don't think it makes any sense. I think it throttles a lot of their streamers. It's like Twerk17 and Board Gamer and stuff like that are all in the Avocati, which I think is silly. Right? Why are people that are producing content for everyone to distribute bound by an NDA and like sweating bullets on shows because they can't say things because they don't know what's legally actionable? And I think that that's that's horrible, right? Uh, I can understand having an extremely closed group of people only filing tickets that know how to file tickets and can deal with that. And I can I can understand them telling those people don't stream the game live, but Having them close lip, having them not being able to make videos or anything like that, I think is unreasonable. And I think that it just fragments the community and makes people angry about it. I mean, I know there's some people that post this this information from from the Evocati, not because not just to get the, the the YouTube hits, but because they don't like the Evocati. You know, they don't like the whole process there, and they're in some ways flouting it in front of everybody else. Well, you, you got to admit though, it is a good marketing scam because. Really, if you tell someone you can't see it, what is it? It drives interest, you know. Maybe 
I don't know. I don't, on on this particular as on 3.0 maybe right on 2.6, the only people that care about seeing the caterpillar are probably caterpillar owners. <laughs> Same with the Herald and things like that. I, I don't know if it really is non-star citizens that are really being interested by a minor rev update that adds a couple of ships and some flight changes. This might be a little off topic, but I'd like to ask. Why do we exactly need the Evocati right now in this stage of Star Citizen? It's so early. It seems like closed betas are about keeping spoilers from getting out to the rest of the community. It's not even, it's you not can't even call that. it a closed beta because it really isn't even in beta. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, what's the point of splitting it up? I can put it pretty succinctly. The reason that to, that the Evocati exists is because of 2.0. Did anyone here play 2.0 right when it came out of PTU? Yep. It was insanely buggy. Like, it crashed every... It was. You, I mean, you, people would put crash counters on their streams, and it would be remarkable if somebody got to 10 minutes. That's and crazy. It, it, was, it, was, it was horrible, right? But people kept throttling through it because it was so cool, right? Especially since, you know, everything before it was Arena Commander, basically, right? And now, oh, I get to fly to space stations and stuff, right? So Evocati are there to take that brunt of the force, and hopefully they'll get the stability up to a certain level before they release it to the general public. And in theory, the Evocati are a group of people that are used to this crap. They're used to actually saying, okay, I crashed. Why did I crash? And file a ticket. And that was the idea. As far as I know, it's working well for them. I would go a little bit further with that and say it was because of 2.0 and the community's slamming of CIG at the time for releasing such a buggy alpha. Buggy and alpha are the same thing, though. Yeah, but you know? the, the, problem, exactly. the problem is that CIG asked, basically implicitly asked everyone, do you want to see the raw buggy version? And everybody was like, yes, and CIG took them at their word, and it turns out that you know 95% of the people weren't actually that interested in something as buggy as it was, so they narrowed the audience. Yeah, it all depends on what your definition of buggy is, right? <laughs> Me falling out of my spaceship or something like that, oh, okay. Me hard crashing every every three minutes is not is is is, is different to the definition, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one other thing to note on that live stream, uh, the recent email that was sent out says to expect to see 2.6 gameplay and features, a friendly international competition, uh, more details about an alien race, a new concept ship, and details in the upcoming holiday promotions. All right. So reading between the lines. I'm betting the details on the alien race are more Tavaran stuff because they weren't able to get the Tavaran out for the last live stream. The way I'd they say wanted. that's a safe bet. International competition probably just means they're going to pull people in from either the London or the German office. Yeah, another another Star Marine uh, battle probably. Probably. Um, and then new concept ship. What's the one that everyone's been buzzing about? There's a lot of a lot of them actually that were leaked on a whiteboard a while back and I'm not sure what this one falls under this could be anything really yeah uh, there's rumors also that they're working on another new motorcycle based on the RTV today like a competitor to the dragonfly or something like that oh but okay. uh, I thought you meant an actual motorcycle and I was really confused <laughs> <laughs> no like <laughs> no a, a, a dragonfly class motorcycle like spaceship probably another uh, manufacturer this week, Frontier announced a brand new station for Elite Dangerous. <laughs> the PlayStation. According to David Braben, Elite will be coming to the PS4 in Q2 2017. At launch, it will include all features and updates available to the game through that update, including Horizons and custom items from the Frontier store will be supported without delay as well. 
Intriguingly, the DualShock 4's touchpad and motion detection will allow fine control of the galaxy and system maps, as well as cockpit headlook. For PC players, the graphical optimizations needed to port Elite to PS4 will feed back into the development stream to bring improvements on that end as well. The PlayStation announcement brought with it not only a snazzy new trailer, but also a number of teasers for Update 2.3, The Commanders. Several customized commanders were featured in the trailer, as well as what appeared to be either some kind of generation ship or another mobile station like Shock. Keen-eyed commanders also noted the long-awaited Dolphin Liner, a cousin to the Orca and Beluga, and there are likely further secrets to unpack from the fast-paced preview. Most importantly, however, senior producer Gary Richard announced that the commanders will release before the PS4 version of ED, so we can probably expect the update in either Q1 or possibly early Q2. Last but not least, the 2.2.03 beta is now live for all commanders who have beta access, whether from Kickstarter, Lifetime, or Horizons Beta Pass. This includes the combat and engineering blueprint balance passes that we discussed recently, as well as submission changes about which frontier is also soliciting feedback from the community. Designer Adam Waite has asked for opinions concerning stacking skimmer massacre missions in the forum thread. He offers several possible options to fix balance issues caused by the current situation where commanders can stack multiple missions to destroy enemy skimmers but complete them all at once as each kill counts towards every mission currently active. The link to that thread and the other major items above will of course be in the show notes. God, I hope they don't fix that. I was going to say when I first read that, that I thought that was a staple of games like this because i remember even way back playing privateer like the trick to making money real quick is to find three different people who all want you to patrol the same endpoint and get them all to Mm -hmm. pay you at the same time for it i don't think that's what people are complaining about i think the stacking has more to do with people logging out logging right back in and having stations show them missions they've already accepted to accept again so you can have, like, three copies of the same mission, five copies of the same mission, you just keep logging in and out, it's an exploit. Oh, okay, that's, yeah, that's different. Now, they are saying that stacking missions isn't such a bad thing, that they're not going to change that from what I heard. I heard it in a YouTube stream today. Changing that aspect wasn't one of the options. They were talking about reducing the number of missions you can have active at once with the same rewards, and then increasing the amount you get per mission so that it still balances, but it would eliminate this uh, issue. So, sorry for my ignorance in, in consoles and stuff like that, but wasn't Elite Dangerous already on consoles? Xbox. Yeah, Xbox. Oh, oh see, they're all just they're all just noise to me. <laughs> I, I don't play much on consoles either. So, like, Star Trek, you know, online went to Xbox, but the fact is I, I can't pull any of my commander data or my captain data or anything. I have to start over, and I'm not going to do that, not after so many years of playing Star Trek and acquiring what I've had. I'm just, it's, I'm not that big of a gamer. You know? I, I spoke to the Star Trek online developers about that at Star Trek New York when I was there with Priority One, and that wasn't the point. You know, when they have games on multiple consoles and on PC, the environments aren't shared because the consoles don't want you to be able to share uh, your online experience with PC gamers right now. They want you to go through their pay-for online service. But the point was more about bringing in new players than offering existing players another outlet to play. And I'm sure that's what they're doing with Elite, trying to get more players to come in, especially with PlayStation VR. They haven't confirmed support for that, but I'm sure it's going to happen. 
it's a no-brainer to have PlayStation VR on on Elite. So that's probably the point of targeting that platform now. But the thing that might have been true when it was the Xbox 360 or or the PlayStation 3. But the fact is, I can go from my PC, log into my uh, connect right connect to my Xbox One, and play all my games on my PC. So it, it seems with today's consoles, I don't think that's quite the same thing. It's not that it can't be done. It's that they don't want to do it. The consoles like to keep their communities their communities. Yeah, well, I think that's going to change as consoles get more and more geared with the the fact that you can play them anywhere. I mean, I can put my Xbox One out in the living room and and my PC in my office, and I could move out there or play in here, or but still play the same. But that's a different argument. That's a different discussion entirely. I, yeah, you're I, right. You're right. There are other great things to talk about in Elite right now. They're like you mentioned the new ship. That ship they showed. I'm really hoping that's one of those generation ships. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to discover those floating out there. And I hope you can interact with them in some way, maybe trade with them. Are there any of them currently in the game? They exist in lore. We know that they were sent out hundreds of years ago. You know, to start colonization. But then with the hyperspace travel, we pass them. So they're all arriving at destinations. Some may be at destinations. Um, some might be trapped in the void. Who knows? But we know that they were sent out and they exist and that they will be in game at some point. Oh, so I bet was that brought up as a possible source for those non-alien ruins or different alien ruins? I don't think anybody's discussed that, but I thought of it. I don't think it's going to go that way, though. Those ruins look really futuristic for if it was going to be something that belonged to humans okay. i don't think you know what i mean it looks like it's beyond what people have in elite in 3302 so it would be ancient advanced aliens i think right since it's a discussion for elite dangerous players and we have elite dangerous players who listen to the show as well as make the show we want to know what everybody's saying about this mission stacking issue so Sort of a sub-community question this week. If you voiced an opinion or if you have an opinion on the uh, stacking multiple missions exploit, let us know what it is. The second large update for Everspace since its release into early access has dropped. The first big item, literally, is the new Colonial Gunship. It features heavier starting weapons and an automated turret, along with missiles and mines as starting secondary systems. But it does not come with a shield generator. It also has the slowest top speed and lowest maneuverability of all three ships. Its nanobot or repair item storage capacity has been increased to compensate. But devs warn that being severely outnumbered in a fight will carry greater consequences with this ship than perhaps with the others. The perks in-game have also been overhauled. The only thing whose progression carries over from playthrough to playthrough, the perks now have ship-specific benefits that can be upgraded, such as improving the armor for the gunship or the sensors for the scout. On the player side of things, there are new perks which allow for better deals and rates when buying items during a playthrough, as well as a perk that can, if upgraded enough, convince friendly NPCs to take your side in a fight on occasion. The NPC perk has more impact because a neutral NPC now have long-range comms. Previously, if you ransacked one of their outposts in one system and then jumped out, their escort flotilla in the next system was none the wiser. Now, there's a chance they'll be hip to your antics and might decide to preemptively deal with you. In addition to that, there are apparently some new structures, visual decorations, and a new special enemy to tangle with. They've apparently uploaded some of the traveler's logs, I believe they called them, that you, they're lore pieces that can be discovered during a playthrough and picked up. I don't think they have the 
like official story worked out yet still, but um, seeing them add some lore bits to the game is nice. Sounds like a pretty neat improvement on the game. Yeah, it was the remaining big thing other than the story because uh, that was the third ship was just the big black silhouette that everyone was curious about. So now all three ships are in there and the enemies and the systems and so forth are already pretty sussed out. So this should mean that the majority of the actual gameplay is now in the game. I don't know what that means for an official release date, if anything, but we'll have to see. And now it's time for news we didn't use. No Man's Sky has released another small update. Of note is a new system to help with integrating and identifying third-party mods being used in the game. Descent Underground is a new production release with Christmas decor and the new gameplay modes, Conquest and Corporate Warfare. Eve Valkyrie has a new map and pilot avatars thanks to the Gatecrash patch released this week. Class-based spaceship action game Dreadnought is also getting a PlayStation 4 version. More details soon. In the Descent Underground Proving Grounds, the team is making more improvements all around. The Corporate War and Conquest game modes are now available on more maps. Match times are now adjustable, up to 6 hours if for the truly dedicated miner, and tools and abilities now have a cost in Corporate War, and scoring changes were implemented in Conquest as the matches were too short. Despite being featured in this week's ATV and receiving a direct question in RTV, Chris Smith of CIG has not revealed when he will be doing a pass on the 300 series ships. Shiv is formulating options, including crying into his coffee and salt. Achievements? They're a fixture in most modern games, whether they're wacky gimmicks attempted by adopting unique playstyles or trophy badges that will be awarded to anyone who boots up the game and creates a character. The accomplishments are marked in the player's history and can sometimes serve as badges of honor or shame, depending. However, some argue that the most meaningful achievements are the big ones. Single event, big name events that are first come, first served. Sometimes they're 100% player generated. CFC is a group that will go down in gaming history as being a, if not the, major force in starting and winning the 21-hour Battle of Eskai in EVE Online, the largest PvP battle ever as of its occurrence. Red Wizard probably has solidified a spot for himself in Elite by being the first one to collect an unknown artifact. Wizard's accomplishment differs, however, because his was not organic. It was put there by the devs. The dev-created single-event achievements... Okay, you can stop that now. ...can create some disagreement among players. The most recent one the Elite devs attempted may or may not have been sabotaged out of the gate, depending on your perspective. A new type of alien ruin was teased in a trailer for an Elite update, but rather than receiving hints from developers or discovering clues in the game, as had happened with the unknown artifacts in a previous alien crash site, Commander X-Death instead took visual data from the trailer, did analysis and research of several hours, and located it less than 24 hours after it went into the game. This type of thing has made some gamers cynical about such accomplishments. The assumption is that people who have the time or luxury to focus inordinate amounts of time on the game will always be the ones to claim them, and will do so before the mystery even builds any interest. 
Hunting down and defeating the dread pirate Roberts and discovering new jump gates in Star Citizen's full persistent universe have been teased as similar accomplishments, but many backers assume the pirate will be dead and all jump points discovered within 12 hours of the game's release, if not sooner. However, fans will point out that the one-off events are the kind of thing that makes MMOs a truly unique experience. They don't want to compare notes with 5,000 other people who've done the exact same things. They want to hear about new experiences, even if it's secondhand, and they don't want to hope their game's community is vibrant enough to generate these experiences organically. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate the merit of developer-created one-off quests. Henry is known to wheedle his way into any exclusive event that gives out awards, while Kin Shadow actually doesn't know where his birth certificate or school graduation is. So, Henry, why should developers put the big one-off goals in their game? I think we're talking about two different kinds of experiences, and I think they both have their own place. Um, but I think the big one-offs that one person gets recognition for, um, they're, they're a great thing. They're, they give you the commentator something to talk about, the community something to work on outside a game. It brings people together a little bit. Look at what Elite did with the embedded images and the audio files from the, un, uh, uh, the alien objects. Um, it was something to talk about. It was something to do. And it's more like being a citizen in that game, more like being a part of that world. Well, I think that achievements like this that are one-time events, even if they're for a broad number of people, end up leaving people out for really silly reasons. Like you weren't there at one time a specific time because you were working or whatever and it really it really uh, tweaks certain people with certain types of psychology it really uh, disenfranchises people that are completionists or really want to get the full game experience uh, every player should have the opportunity or failing that a reasonable chance to experience all the content in the game that they paid for okay well said and henry your rebuttal uh, what I was saying is it's it's a little different because you're looking at everybody in the game is going to be the hero of the game, and that's something that a lot of games offer. What we're seeing with a lot of these new space sims, like Star Citizen and Elite, is you're part of a big universe, and you're not going to be the center of that universe. There's a ton of things to do, a ton of ways to play, and a ton of things to you know experience, but you're not going to be at the forefront of every discovery, of every battle. You're a part of a, a big machine. You're a part of a big universe. And I think that's special in its own right. I think even if you can't get access to everything, per se, I, I think that the, the fact that some people have things that you can never acquire is a, is, is a burden that's beyond the, 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 the typical, uh, oh, I can't be all classes at once, or I can't get to all content at once. I, I think every player should be able to strive if they really wanted to, to get to that point. And then these one-time events would basically make that impossible for some people. All right. Uh, very well argued, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything you'd like to add to the discussion? I, I like achievements when I achieve them. <laughs> well said, I, sir. I don't, yeah. like I don't like achievements that I don't have an opportunity to participate in. I consider myself a casual gamer, and because I'm a casual gamer, I play different games at different times. And I feel that these one-offs are set for the more hardcore fan, the one that's logged in daily and spends hours and hours and hours and does, has nothing better to do than to go out and hunt for these one-off achievements. 
And as such, I think it's a disservice to other fans of the game who don't have that kind of time. Because it seems like the ones that achieve it are the ones that keep achieving those same one-offs. I mean, if you take WoW, for example, you'll see if you were to look around, uh, if you could do a data mine, who's got the most achievements, you'd probably find that that's the one that's is spending 20 hours a day in the game. I just really think it's a disservice to fans that may not be hardcore players. What about the guy that does spend that time? Doesn't he deserve something for that effort for being the one that did put in that time and the one that did look at the video of the alien ruins and triangulate its position? I, I think they should be recognized, but I think they should be recognized in other ways. Well, I think it's fine if they if 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 those people that spend 20 hours doing that stuff get um, get an achievement for it, but I think other people should have the opportunity to get the achievement too. I don't have as much of a problem with the finite number with two caveats to it. First, as long as that's not the only thing being developed, I don't mind. But if the game is like only churning out these accomplishments and achievements that can be grabbed by the super hardcore dedicated gamers, that's a problem. The other thing, which is sort of paradoxical, but I want them to stick to their guns. Like, if it's going to be exclusive, or if they say it's going to be exclusive, then it should be exclusive. It shouldn't be like, well, this is exclusive for the next year, and then we're going to cave because we feel bad, and anybody who does something that's far less strenuous or just plain forks over cash is going to be able to achieve the same thing as these other people. But as long as those two rules are followed, the one-off exclusive achievements don't necessarily bother me as much. Well, you have our thoughts on it. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, are one-time only dev-created achievements a good way to keep the game alive and provide unique, difficult challenges in the MMO world? Or are they exclusive to the hardcore gamers and leave out too much of the population? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all cut up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's so terrifying that NPCs combat log when they face him, and that the only time he was a combat logger was when he was attacked while felling a tree. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question, can games implement effective systems to combat and discourage combat loggers? Or will they invariably fail and end up unfairly punishing people with legitimate connection issues? Have you seen or thought of an effective system game developers can use? Several people suggested avatars or ships should stay online for a time after logging off, perhaps 20 to 30 seconds. Or, after that time, an AI takes over. On the later, in some more detail, Amontillado says... After a disconnect, a ship should start heading off towards a safe harbor. After a set period of time of receiving no damage, it can be replaced with an NPC ship that will, once out of visual range, will disappear. If you want the disconnected player's ship to stick around and score the kill, keep plunking it. Joe Gagan points out that AI takeover would give some protection for the legitimate disconnected players, but provide no advantage to someone pulling out their cable. Specific to Elite, Dillick Firehawk says, Hello, everyone. Great show. So, combat logging. Wow, that's a can of worms that I have been guilty of just once, and I was really ashamed, but I didn't pull the plug. 
I survived the 15 seconds and actually logged out. Does that even count? Anyways, there are very good points argued in the debate, but it comes down to this. How much effort will Frontier put down to resolve this issue? So far, they haven't done a lot. Another thing that a lot of people that argue on the topic is the, but I will punish the player that legitimately have connection problems. To that I ask, what's the real percentage? I read somewhere that almost 90% of combat logs were done by commanders in combat fitted ships. Really? Rambus writes in and said, Hey Guard Frequency, great show as ever. Only one way to deal with this. If you get disconnected, you will lose your ship's avatar and die. Nothing to it. <laughs> That's really hard. I didn't think any game in 2016 will still use anything but that function. It is 2016 and no ISP should be dropping connection. Well, sometimes they dig up a cable. Get a router with a USB slot that can be used for a 4G dongle. Hey Rambus, come live in my house for a while. Yeah, the, the Shiv replied to that by saying that his ISP has that problem. He says daily we'd lose connection a few times. They came and fixed it, but losing Hearthstone matches was bad enough. A whole ship and all accrued rewards, no thanks. Sean Newboy wrote, Wonderful episode, everyone. Logging off should not be an instantaneous thing. That way you hedge the results of both reasons for character downtime. If it is a random disconnect, most times there would end up being little or no penalty. On the other hand, if you're disconnecting deliberately, you'll still pay some penalty. Paul May uh, speculates that logging back in to find your insurance is going to take four hours to replace your ship and six to eight to replace all the upgrade parts is going to cure that real fast. So you said the um, the Facebook response was people who didn't think it was still a thing. Well, that was, it was very well summed up as uh, that first sentence that... Uh that Shiv put up there. <laughs> there were lots of people yeah. that that basically wrote, of course an API AI will take over, or if of course this the ship will be there for 20 seconds and etc. 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 So it seems like everyone has a very strong opinion that this is what Star Citizen is going to do, and you're silly for asking. Uh, though not a lot of them didn't quite correspond to what the other one thought they were going to do. I, I, I it concerns me a lot because I don't combat log, I do disconnect quite frequently. I still, to this day, I, I, I find it that people that live in cities with their, with their fiber links and their 40 meg DSL from CenturyLink and, or not DSL, but 40 meg connections or whatever, they believe that because they have the technology that everybody in the world has that technology and we don't, and we don't have access to it. So I am not going to go out and pay an exorbitant amount of money for a 4G LTE USB dongle to stick in my thing when my connection fails. It's just not going to happen. The data costs too much. And I have one of those that I use for work, and the connection is not... Like, it's a connection, but I would not want to try gaming of any significant amount on it. The latency over cellular connections is not great. No. And especially where I live. I mean, I, I'm a country bumpkin. I have one gigabit fiber to my house, and my connection goes down occasionally. <laughs> I'm okay with, with somewhat harsh treatment. I think the AI solution here is perfectly fine. I think uh, staying there for a minute or two or five or whatever is perfectly fine as well. Um, I've dealt with those in MMOs, and I think they're reasonable. Um, I don't think your ship immediately exploding when you lose connection is a reasonable solution to have. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little may, harsh. Maybe an arena commander, but that, that, that would be the only case. And our new patrons this week are... Oh, none. Oh, man. 
Come on, you Patreons! And this week's community question. Are one-time-only dev-created achievements a good way to keep the game alive and provide unique, difficult challenges in an MMO world? Or are they exclusive to the hardcore gamers and leave out too much of the population? Let us know your thoughts. Also, if you have an opinion or voted on the Elite Dangerous mission stacking issue, we want to know what you said. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show threads at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Worth making a one-off achievement for? Or just something that you can be quietly grateful that you made through live? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on the show's post over at guardfrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at guardfreak. Or leave a comment and like us on facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do. So take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 148 of Guard Frequency. We will be back with episode 149 on December 20th. So be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website at guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central, which is 12 midnight Saturday, if you happen to be on the Turks and Caicos Islands. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to get some guard frequency goodies. We want to thank our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we can get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Shiverbean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pintad, and of our course our audio engineer, Mikey, who does such a wonderful job making me sound good. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. problem we had there was an error in the script which means we're hosed 1.66 sorry <clears throat> 1.6161 i can't i'm getting dyslexic one, Hold on. Six, one. <clears throat> yeah star citizen 2.6 has been available for testing with the semi-exclusive evil kati group of late Nove-
See what happens when you get fancy. I know. <laughs> you had to get fancy with the spices. The Evocati. I want to say Illuminati every time I say that. According to David Braben, I'm really sorry. Uh, is it Ben? Ben edits, right? I'm really oh, sorry. Ben. Mikey or Lennon. Mikey. I'm sorry. Mikey and Lennon, both of you. I'm sorry for that. Well, we'll be even more sorry if the file's too long. So, The PlayStation announcement. Uh, yeah, announcement. announcement. <laughs> Are we okay, guys? No, <laughs> no, we we're really minute? not. <laughs> no, we don't have a minute. We just discussed that. Okay, and just audio note to Mikey or whomever. We only want the achievement sound the first time the word's mentioned. Otherwise, this is going to sound ridiculous. <laughs> That would be really awesome, though. It's like, ding, 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 the whole time. What if we put a colon between each achievement sound? <laughs> ding, colon, ding, 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 colon. <laughs> if no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Who switched that? Switched what? It says the black deep gets pretty lonely. <laughs> uh, I, I say it so often... <laughs> The black sheep <laughs> no, gets pretty I lonely. I, I didn't even read the, the last line. I mean, I know it so well, I just didn't even bother reading it. I think yeah, you no, said I it, mean, right? it's not. No, he said it fine. I just wondered. I wonder how long it's been like I that. I think that, yeah, I'm wondering if that was one of those psychological things. Well, wait, yeah. you you took us out last week, didn't you, Kinshadow? I don't know. It's all a blur. <laughs>